welcome back to another episode of The Witchy Historian. This is Crystalina May, your favorite witchy historian, I hope. <laughs> and again, I have to apologize for dropping this episode five days late. Um, things have been hectic. Cars breaking down, getting totaled, things like that. The good news is, is that none of us are hurt. No, there was no accident. There was nothing horrible that happened. Um, my car is just old and so it is no longer functional. Um, but I'm getting some money for it from the salvage yard. So that's all that matters. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's been a little hectic and I had a friend, um, y'all might remember Becca from the Didelphus Goddess who I collaborated with on our Ostera box. Um, she came to visit me. Uh, so she was here last week and with that and her helping me get through the week and not lose my mind and get some stuff in order with a rental car and things like that while we're getting the other vehicle fixed, um, I did not have time to write or record an episode. So because of the fact that I did not get a chance to write or record, I am winging this. So today is August 1st, 2023. It is Tuesday. It is Lamas or Lunasa, depending upon which one you prefer. I think there's a few other names for the holiday as well. Um, but this is the first of three harvest Sabbaths. So um, before we get started on the episode, I'm going to do two things. First, I am going to touch on the witchy calendar of the day. Um, again, planets in retrograde, we've got four of them. We have Pluto, Saturn, Neptune, and Venus. Lots of emotions, lots of like structures, re-evaluating our relationship to the collective and our relationships in general, both our romantic relationships, our friendships, and our business partnerships as well. So keep all of that in mind. Retrogrades do not have to be terrible. They are opportunities for reflection and growth. That's why they are retrogrades. We're looking back to see how we've grown since the last one. So yeah, I saw a thing about like if you're if you have placements in certain signs that these are going to hit you especially hard. The only one that I remember for sure is the Venus retrograde is going to hit people with Gemini, Leo, and Cancer placements especially hard because of the way that Venus will be retrograding and moving back through the signs. And I believe it is currently in Leo and it will be retrograding back into Cancer. And there is some kind of relationship somehow to um, Gemini. So I have two of those three placements and I know somebody else who has all three of those in their big three. So I don't know if y'all are feeling some type of way, <laughs> uh, look at the retrogrades and see what kind of lessons might be kind of lingering there, what kind of reflection you might need to be doing, what kind of meditations, um, things like that to kind of help you get through this time. For the actual calendar content, we have the star. 
Since the beginning of time, we have looked up to the stars for illumination, direction, and guidance. This symbol sheds light on our lives, offers us navigation, and is a welcome constant, encouraging our hearts to light the way. And in tarot, we can find the star in the star, of course, but also it appears in the Empress and the Chariot in most decks, most traditional decks. So that, that those themes are something to keep an eye on. I want to talk about Lunasa. Because I work with the, the Celtic, or with some Celtic deities, I am eclectic, but I do work with some Celtic deities. I tend to call it Lunasa, but I always forget that it's also the same thing as Lamas. So when people start talking about Lamas, I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, I forgot a Sabbath. I didn't forget a Sabbath. It's fine. <laughs> um, but I have a couple of excerpts that I wanted to read to y'all. This tells you exactly how disorganized I am today. Not disorganized, just didn't write. I didn't write anything. So... I'm winging it. But this is from the Llewellyn's Sabbath Essentials series in the Lunasa volume of that series. And the introduction, or the first paragraph um, of the section that is titled Old Ways, starts on page 15. Lunasa is the first of three harvest celebrations in the pagan wheel of the year. It is typically held from sundown on July 31st through sundown on August 1st, though some celebrate it on or around August 5th or 6th and refer to it as Old Lamas or Old Style Lamas. The festival can also be timed astrologically to coincide with the point where Leo reaches 15 degrees relative to the position of the sun. Agricultural timing is also an option, as Lunasa might be celebrated as the first fruits of the harvest begin to ripen in your own garden or regional farmlands. In Ireland, the 1st of August was celebrated as Lunasad, and in Scotland it was called Lunasad or Lunasdal. In the Isle of Man, the day is called, please excuse me while I butcher this, Luaniston, and in Wales, the day was celebrated as Gil Ost or Feast of Augustus. So in England, it was called Lamas, which is a derivate derivation of the Old English Lothmas, which literally means loaf mass, which is Gaelic for like gathering a surrounding grain or bread. Moving forward into modern themes and common elements on page 43, while there is certainly no set standard of modern pagan Lunasa customs, there are definitely some widespread commonalities worth noting. Themes of harvest, gratitude, and reflection are abundant, as the holiday is commonly seen as a time to celebrate the ending of summer while also looking forward to the coming fall. Things like potlucks, picnics, and other forms of feasting are popular, and the gathering of wild herbs is widely practiced. Magic and rituals frequently focus on abundance, 
protection, and fertility, though themes of death and shedding away the old are also common. Offerings are all usually given, though recipients vary widely from specific deities like Danu or Lu, to ancestors or to the dead in general. Still others make offerings at Lunasa to nature spirits like dryads and other types of vegetation protecting nymphs. And despite the differences in our personal practices, our Lunasa offerings share a universal and simple message of thanks. And now I'm going to touch on some ways that we can celebrate Lunasa. Honoring the dead, going to a local cemetery, or doing some genealogical research, or connecting with a specific branch of your family. Bringing in the harvest. This is a great time, especially if you have peppers, tomatoes, anything like that. Those are going to start to be ready to pick, so start gathering those and maybe even getting ready to preserve them by drying them, pickling them, or some freezing them, or anything like that. You can also go magical tool hunting. This is a really great time of year to find fallen pieces of nature, fallen branches or old kind of greenery and things like that that we can gather and put into tools like besoms or make into wands or walking sticks or staffs or anything like that. So this is a really great time of year to find those types of things in order to make those tools. And also, if you're not in a place where you have access to nature, you can go to your local witchy shops and your farmer's markets and things like that and see what you can find because this is a great time of year for people to be putting out crafts that might have some more of those fall themes. Get cooking. Um, feasting. Have some potlucks, have some people over. Heck, have nobody over and just eat a bunch of food yourself. Um, I mean, I advocate for sharing, but that's just because I probably don't need to eat that much food. <laughs> Instead of opening up a boxed cake mix or bread mix or something like that, try making your food from scratch. Maybe get a discounted box from HelloFresh or EveryPlate and make your dinners for a few nights. Or you can even find a way to make your own pasta. That has a lot of grain in it. And this is the first harvest, which is focused on the first grain. So there's a lot of different ways that we can incorporate our daily life into this Sabbath. All right. So that's Lunasa. I am... A little out of sorts. It's fine. <laughs> but today, as y'all might have figured out by the title of the episode, we are back to basics again. This is a witchy episode. Um, episode number 10, witchy episode number five. And we are talking about centering and grounding. No, we're not. We're talking about casting a circle. That's what we're doing. We're talking about casting a circle. The reason I said centering and grounding is because I have my book open right here, looking at the page that says center and ground, which faces the page about circles. <laughs> so I'm going to read a few different sources here, but I'm going to start with the mythology 
that is shared in The Solitary Witch by Silver Ravenwolf. And while Ravenwolf herself is kind of problematic and does appropriate quite a lot of culture in her works and does things a little, she's very heavy, heavily influenced by traditional Gardnerian Wicca and there's some racist and white supremacist undertones, probably unintentionally, that are in her works. However, I think she still has something of value to add, as long as we take everything that we learn with a grain of salt. I think we can find value in a lot of these early, earlier authors or authors who maybe haven't done as much research and really done it properly in order to properly source their materials. Silver Ravenwolf, we can acknowledge the fact that some of her materials are rather problematic while still gleaning some useful wisdom from them. So in her book, Solitary Witch, which is her edition of the book of, of her book of shadows, she discusses Honey and the Rain in Circle Casting. And this is on page six in part one of her book of shadows. Hani and the rain. Since Hani's story occurred more than 2000 years ago, there is a debate on what he actually represented in his society. Was he just a magician or was he a part of the priesthood? Some feel that his miracle was remarkable enough to write down, which they did, but was too dangerous to let the reader think that he was operating outside of the current religious structure of the day. Therefore, he became part of the Jewish rabbinical society, or his story did. Hani's story gives us important clues as to how magic works and why, 2,000 years later, we continue to use the magic circle. And in case you hadn't noticed, this comes from the the Middle East and is based in very early Hebrew lore. In the spring, the people desperately needed rain, but it did not come. They approached Hani the circle maker and said, pray so that the rains will fall. Hani told the people to find sufficient cover for the mud and clay, pass over ovens because they would melt in the rain. In magic, this is the mental preparation needed to set the stage for the working. In making the people move the ovens, Hani was mentally encouraging them to believe in the magic. Once the ovens had been covered, Hani prayed, but it did not rain. He then realized that he had made an error. He forgot to cast a circle. No wonder the rains would not come. He had not created a stable platform for the work to manifest. Hani then casted a magic circle, possibly with a staff or a rod in the dirt, though the text does not say, and stood within it. What is interesting about this story is that Hani then talked to God as if he was talking to anyone. He said, Master of the universe, your children have turned their faces to me because I am like a son of the house before you. I swear by your great name that I am not moving from here until you have mercy on your children. In essence, he gets a bit feisty. So far, Hani has done four important things. 
He's moved the baking ovens to indicate his faith in his ability to make rain, a physical act which, by involving the people, makes them expectant of a miracle. He's cast a magic circle to purify the area because when he just prayed, nothing happened. Therefore, someone in the crowd probably wanted to see him fail and more than likely, he wasn't centered and cast the circle to put himself in the correct frame of mind. I'm going to pause here for just one moment and caveat this statement by stating that that's not exactly how magic works, right? You do have to have faith in yourself, but if somebody else doesn't have faith in you, that doesn't mean that what you are trying to manifest isn't going to manifest. So one, there, there is one of the ways that this presents itself, that Raven Wolf's very particular ideas present themselves in a way that are, might not be fully accurate. I'm going to return back to the story now. The next thing he does is connect with deity. Then he tells spirit his magical intention and very firmly too. Is he threatening God with that last statement? Actually, no. Again, looking at this from a magical point of view, he's telling himself that he's going to succeed no matter what. He's putting his conviction into the magical mix and giving himself a verbal booster at the same time. He's being firm like a Victorian lady who won't take no for an answer. Yet, it is not God he is pressing, but himself. Hani has trained, has been trained that he must touch the unmanifest to manifest, which has nothing to do with threatening God and everything to do with believing in himself. Again, pausing the caveat, this is the idea that intention is what matters in magical workings. Going back to the reading. Evidently, he needed the extra verbal push that day. And with that push, the rains began to drip. So I'm going to end there um, on this story. And you can see how the circle, casting a circle in magical workings or in faith workings, or ritual is something that is not new. This is not a new Gardnerian Wicca, Wicca or New Age religious idea. This is something that's been done in many cultural traditions around the world for literal eons. So I'm going to talk today about why we cast a circle, how, um, well, First of all, why we cast a circle. Um, when you can use a circle, I'll explain why I very rarely do, and then how. We will talk about a few different methods that we can use for that. So a magic circle um, is really in, um, in modern witchcraft. It is used as an energy barrier to kind of delineate a sacred space or a space that you are working in, that you are doing a spell in or that you are doing a working in, in order to either worship or to do a ritual, but it is a container and it's created to protect that space so that you can work and do what you're doing without having to worry about keeping extra energy out 
without having to worry about being interrupted, whatever it may be. And it also provides a way for you to collect your energy in a focused way so that while it's raised, before that energy is released towards your goal, you have that focal point. You might not always need a circle, like I said, but learning how to cast one is a very good technique to know because sometimes if you're doing something really big or you're doing a big group working and this is something that's new to you, you might want to cast a circle just to give you an extra layer of that protection to help ward off any negative energy. And you can even use it on a small scale as a personal, as a personal shield if you really, really need to. So a lot of people use circles when they're doing spells or if they're doing any type of gray or um, baneful type magic, they might use a circle just to make sure nothing kind of comes back on them um, or bounces back at them or anything like that, which is great practice. That is a really, really good methodology to use. I personally do only cast a circle when I have a really, really large working that kind of has a lot of components that I really need to make sure that nothing else is interfering with because I'm not going to have the mental space or the capacity of energy to pause and handle the thing while I'm doing what I'm doing. That I've really only had to do that a couple of times in my entire practice. Or if it's a big group working like a ritual or something like that is another time that I would most likely want to cast a circle that I think that would, it would probably be good practice. But that is my practice. Some people prefer to cast circles more often or sometimes not even at all. I know a lot of people that never cast a circle and they're just fine. So this isn't something that you absolutely have to do, but this is something that is useful. It's a tool that you can have in your tool belt. Many, many different cultures have used it in different ways. But it's always a way to kind of put that shield around yourself so you can focus on what you're doing and so that you have a focal point for all of the energy that you're dumping into whatever you're doing in that moment so that when it's released, you can let it all go. So next I have, I'm going to go back to Silver Raven Wolf because her um, circle casting ritual is pretty intense. It's pretty intense pretty intense. So I am going to read that for y'all. All right. So we're going to start with, I'm just going to read her walking the circle. So the steps are to ground and center, cast the circle. Um, you can do the conjuration and it, it, I will read it as we go. And then you do your working with inside the conf confines of the circle. When you're done, you release the circle and then you ground and center again. So there's this conjuration. It's master or mistress of the universe. I am, and then you state your name, your magical son, daughter, child. This is activating your pathway to the deity and you are melding your being with the universe 
that you called in the first line. If you're doing this working for someone else, you can state their name as well. And then you state your request. I am doing this working for this person to accomplish this thing. And then you add for all that is good and finish with, I know you will do this for me, which is an affirmation of faith. And again, this is Silver Raven Wolf's interpretation of the Hani story um, from Hebrew lore. So this is not something that you have to do. You don't have to use these exact words. You can use them if you would like to, but this is just one of those things that is useful to have in your tool belt in the back of your head so that if you try it one way and it doesn't feel like it clicked for you, you can try it this way if you want to. Um, it's a little more complicated this way, but it's fine. <laughs> so um, Silver Raven Wolf goes on walking the circle, and this is on page eight in that same book. Walking the circle occurs often in European folktales and religious ceremonies to break evil spells, to transform oneself or the area you're in into something sacred, and to acquire power. This walking the circle was called circumambulation. I totally, totally ruined that up. Which means to walk around an object, person, or place with the right hand toward the subject, either in religious ceremony, in an act of reverence, or in magical practice. So like you're standing, like you're facing the line of the circle, not the inside or the outside. And your right hand is facing in is as inside the circle which is towards the center and then you walk clockwise sunwise however you want to say it to bring good luck to destroy evil to cure disease and in southern cultures this ensures that the sun will rise the next day this walking of the circle is especially used in ceremonies of birth marriage and death whether we're talking about tibet europe South America, or even the Inuits. Knowing this, we understand that the magic circle does not belong solely to witches, but it is another ancient cultural practices practice that has touched all cultures and all faiths, and it is still practiced by many of them today. As with many other antiquated practices, and I don't think that it's antiquated, I think at many other ancient practices would be more accurate. <laughs> it is the modern witch that gives Western civilization a taste of our ancient magical birthright by remembering and practicing such things as the circle casting in daily life and reminding our brothers and sisters and siblings of other faiths where many of these applications actually came from. To deny one's history is to deny knowledge. And I think that's one of the spots where she really got it right. Um, we really need to be aware of where these things are coming from. And that doesn't mean that if you're not Norse, you can't use Viking culture. There are not parts of Norse culture that are closed that I am aware of. Most people who are in the practice would agree with that be aware of how other people are using those those things and appropriating them <laughs> for very nefarious purposes 
obviously. Like, please don't walk around with, like, nasty neo-Nazi symbols all over you because that's just a bad look. But remember that they didn't belong to the neo-Nazis first. They belonged to the Norse. They are part of an ancient culture, not even a religion, but a culture and a very particular practice and um, series of rituals and things that were done hundreds of years ago. So um, remembering where our information comes from. And if things that popped up really, really recently in the 60s resonate for you, that's okay. Like, that's fine. But just be very aware that those things really don't have that as much of that history behind them. So um, we don't want to get into the idea that there is a hierarchy of, of um, witchcraft or witches or anything like that, because it just doesn't work that way. We are all witches. Everyone has the ability to be a witch. And this is something that I talked about in my episode, uh, talking about what it means to be a witch. Many of us believe that anyone can be a witch because it's something, it's a practice. It's not something that you're born with or that you inherit. It's something that you do and that you choose to do in a way of life that you choose to take on. Back to Silver Raven Wolf and circle casting. So this clockwise sunwise movement in the craft can be called Dazel or Jazel. The original spelling is D-E-I-S-E-A-L is Gaelic. And it's also called the Holy Round. Most dances, processions, parades, and things like that were done in this kind of pattern. When someone says, gee, I hope this goes right, they're actually invoking the ancient power of the magic circle because they're going to the right. They're moving to the right. Um, although there are numerous ways in the craft to cast a magic circle, most of them involve walking the circle one to three times with the finger of the right hand or of your chosen tool held out from the body and pointing down towards the center of the circle while reciting a verbal invocation. Some individuals draw the circle on the ground with chalk, or they'll use cornmeal that can be swept away or a bird seed. However, the drawing does not take the place of raising the circle unless you're really experienced and you can conjure while you're drawing. Two additional popular symbols are the spirit circle and the pentacle. So the spirit circle is the circle with the four-armed cross in the center. And then the pentacle, or the, yeah, the pentacle is the circle with the star or the pentagram in the middle, the five-pointed star. Circle casting is recommended for most magical activities, rites, and rituals in the craft. And Silver Ravenwolf addresses this. Yes, I've heard that a few individuals don't cast circles for folk magic applications, but it's sort of like gas. If you want the magical engine to run pure, then you cast a circle. And I'm going to caveat this again. That's not necessarily how magic works. Your practice has to be personal to you. If you feel led to cast a circle, 
learn how to cast a circle, try a few different methods and cast it. If you don't feel like this is that fits with your practice, or if it doesn't feel right to you when you try to do it, don't do it. That's okay. Um, your magic is still going to work if you don't cast a circle. It's not going to be dirty or wrong. <laughs> so keep that in mind. Once the circle has been cast, most witches seal it by saying, as above, so below, the circle is sealed, so mote it be. At this point, the practitioner usually stomps their foot on the floor or the ground to indicate that the seal has been activated. In your visualization of a circle, think of a bubble rather than a flat circle. As the words indicate, as above, so below, the circle is all around you, over your head and under your feet. While in the circle, one never ever walks widershins, which is counterclockwise, unless you are releasing the circle at the end of the ritual. And if you break this rule in traditional witch training, you are certainly told about it pronto. Again, this is a very Wiccan practice that if you cast a circle one way, you don't want to undo it accidentally, right? So that part makes sense. But traditional witch training like that, that's a Wiccan thing. Please don't, you, you can, you can disregard that. <laughs> or maybe not. If you're Wiccan, don't disregard that because that's really important. If you're part of a coven that requires initiation, that's something that traditional witch training, you're going to have some type of initiation and some type of training in order to do that. So again, this is going to depend entirely upon your practice. But if you are truly a solitary witch, as the title of this book implies, you will not be having, you most likely will not have that kind of a witch training. But it is nice to be aware of how that energy works. Because if you are setting up the energy in one way, it makes sense that if you go the opposite direction, it's going to reverse that energy, correct? So, so that part of it makes sense. So there is an ancient belief that to walk counterclockwise in a circle will bring bad luck or will break the power of your magic, um, which she discusses here. Um, but really, this has more to do with the actual energy. It's not going to bring you bad luck if you do it. Um, I actually know people who are left-hand dominant that cast their circles, Wittershins, and then release them, Dazel. So something to think about. Um, once... The spell, magic, or ritual is over and your circle is released. Um, you don't want to leave that magical circle in place and allow that energy to hang out there because it kind of has a habit of accumulating and building up. And some believe that it can cause chaos um, or break down on its own and release things that are trapped within the circle. Um, and I was once told that leaving a circle intact can create a portal, but I don't think that's how that works either. <laughs> but you don't want to leave your energies stagnant, right? And we all have those moments where we're just like not feeling very witchy about anything. And we kind of like forget how to do our practice for a while. Um, but this is one of those things that if you do decide to cast a circle... Um, make sure you release it when you're done. 
um, don't leave it hanging out there because it's just, it, you don't want to leave a big pool of energy chilling in your yard for kind of no reason. <laughs> it's like a pond. If it sits there for too long without movement or being released, it's going to go stagnant, right? So make sure you release it. Um, most Wiccans move Witter Shins to release the circle in one pass and usually draw the energy into a tool or into their hands. A few transfer the energy of the circle to the sacred altar. For me personally, um, and this is me interjecting into the book again, um, when I do release my circle, I let the energy go back into nature because that's where I get most of my energy from is from nature. So I, if I walked Diesel or clockwise three times to cast my circle, it makes sense to do Witter Shins or counterclockwise three times to release it, right? Um, and that's just me and my understanding of how energy works, I choose to do it that way. Some people feel like they can release it with one pass or they feel like they need to do more or the same amount. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter as long as you're releasing the circle. But for me, I do prefer to do the same amount of passes the opposite direction in order to fully release the entire circle. Once the movement, back to the book, <laughs> once the circle is open, or once the movement is complete, they may say, the circle is open but never broken, merry meet and merry part until we merry meet again, so mote it be. And that is a really common Wiccan um, parting phrase. Uh, and then they'll stomp their feet or their foot one time to indicate that the circle is now open. Um, I'm just skimming really quick to see if there's anything else I need to mention. Um, there are ways in order to, if, once you've cast a circle, if you realize you left a tool out, um, you can cut a door. Um, this can require an athame or a wand or something of the sort. Um, and you can cut a door and then um, step out through that door, get your thing, come back into the door and seal the door again. There is a theory that if you do that, every time the door is opened, it weakens the circle. So um, if that's something that you subscribe to, keep that in mind. I'm just going to make sure, because she never mentions exactly how to, how to cast the circle. She doesn't have the actual ritual. So yeah, um, basically you put your hand, your right hand or your dominant hand, depending upon how you choose to do your practice into the circle you walk around um, her invocation is in her book so if anybody wants that let me know um, you can email me um, for that if you want to or you can message me on the page or drop a comment um, or a post or anything like that on Facebook I got you um, and um, she has a specific invocation that she uses and then once you're done, once you have your circle and you've done your working and you're ready to release, you can walk back around Wittershins or opposite direction of how you cast and release it. Say you're releasing invocation and then you're done. So that 
is Silver Raven. That is Silver Raven Wolf. You can tell the full moon is coming tomorrow because well, I'm recording this on the 31st. So on the 1st, we're gonna, we're gonna have a full moon. You can tell because I can't make my words do the thing. <laughs> um, so next, I have I have a couple more uh, sources here. These are much shorter, no lore in this in these ones. Um, and this one is from the Witch's Book of Self Care by Erin Murphy Hiscock. Um, and on page twenty five, she talks about casting a circle, and this is her ritual. What to do? First, center and ground. Second, draw energy up from the earth into your core and let it flow down the arm of your dominant hand. Imagine Three, imagine the earth energy flowing out of your fingers. Point your hand to the side and either turn slowly in place or walk around the perimeter of your space visualizing the energy flowing out like a ribbon to surround your working area. Finish the circle by visualizing the ribbon of energy meeting the other end you started with. Four, once the ring of energy is complete, visualize that energy stretching up to form walls and then continuing into a dome over your head. Visualize a similar hemisphere underneath you so that the energy surrounds you like a full sphere. Five, when your work is complete, visualize this in reverse. Watch the half spheres above and below you recede back into the simple ribbon of energy circled around you, and then point your hand at where the circle began and ended and trace it in reverse, imagining the energy flowing back to your hand and up your arm to your core. Make sure to allow it to flow past your core and down your connection to the earth to allow it to rejoin the earth energy where it came instead of sitting within you. That's that one. This is the one that is most closely aligned with how I cast my circles um, when I do cast them, which is pretty rare. And yeah. Um, it makes me feel much more connected, much more grounded, and uh, like I'm actually protected. Uh, this next one is from Wicca Spellcraft for Men, which is a spell book for male pagans by A.J. Drew, because we love our male um, or uh, male presenting witches too. So the casting of the circle. And this is on page 76. This is most often done by one person with an athame to direct energy toward the ground. I prefer to cast the circle twice, once for the Lord and once for the lady. And this is a direct quote from the book. This is the process of defining the temple. So why not define it in more than just one space? The act of casting the circle can also be used to define that circle for intent. Cast your circle as always, but walk it a third time, sprinkling an infusion tea made with herbs that respond, correspond to your intent. So that is another way that we can cast a circle is by walking it twice and then by using tea or an infusion of some sort with herbs to um, correspond to what we're trying to accomplish. 
And finally, from the In Focus series, um, the book is called Wicca, Your Personal Guide, and it is written by Tracy Long. We really, really enjoy this series. Um, we have many of the books, even though they are, um, some of them are from a more Wiccan standpoint and neither of us are Wiccan. Um, there's some really, really good information in these. So starting on page 47, casting a protective circle. After your circle is cleansed, if you wish, you can perform this ritual to protect it from negativity. Walk around your circle clockwise with an incense and a feather to represent fire and air. If you can't walk around your altar, you can wave some incense around the sides and back of it. Pour a little salt and water together and walk around the circle with the salted water to represent the water and earth. If you can't walk around the altar, pass this around the altar as best you can and then put the dish down again. With the athame, wand, or even your finger, cast the circle around the altar. Make the connection with spirit using your energy and heart. Visualize a white light coming down and flooding over you and over the altar while you walk the circle or pass your athame, wand, or finger around the altar. This will bring spirit and the strength of the universe down for you to tap into. Now, sit and face your altar. Close your eyes and take a few deep breaths to calm and relax yourself. The Protective Circle Chant. Recite. May my circle be cast in love and trust. So mote it be. Now, you can call in your chosen goddess and god, or plural, to join you in your circle, to watch over you, and to keep you safe. Recite. Mother Goddess, please hear my call. Come join me and watch over this circle. Father of the sky, please hear my call. Come join me and watch over this circle and make us one. And again, this particular recitation comes specifically from a Wiccan standpoint. Um, and I believe, oh, I don't have her author information. I thought I did. Nope, I don't. So, um, this is a Wiccan standpoint, but you can tell that it's a little bit different than the other two that I read that were specifically Wiccan. Um, and this particular, uh, Tracy, here it is, here it is. She actually works specifically with British Wicca. So it's a little bit different than Gardnerian Wicca. Um, and so you might notice some of those differences there. Um, and then once your circle is cast, the last thing that many people do before they start their working is call in the quarters. So Tracy continues, once you feel your circle is cleansed and protected, you can call in the quarters to bring in help from the elements and guardians for your spells and rituals. To do this, stand at each of the four points of the compass and face outward. Raise your arms and imagine that you are calling the elements to help you. I start in the east, but you could start at whatever point feels right to you. And you can tell that this particular branch of Wicca is a little more flexible, although a bit wordy. So, 
So Tracy continues, now recite the following. Hail unto you, O guardian of the east, power of the air and intellect. I ask that you guard me with power of the sudden storm and keep me safe. I ask that you be with me in my circle and aid my magic rituals. I bid you hail and welcome. Hail unto you, O guardian of the south, power of fire and manifestation. I ask that you guard me with the power of the roaring flame and the softly fading ember. I ask that you be with me in my circle and aid my magic rituals. I bid you hail and welcome. Hail unto you, O guardian of the west, power of water and emotion. I ask that you guard me with the power of the ocean and hold me safe like the sacred mother's womb. I ask that you be with me in my circle and aid my magic rituals. I bid you hail and come. Welcome. Hail unto you, O guardian of the north, power of earth and integration. I ask that you guard me with the strength of the land and like the soil that nurtures the smallest seed, I ask that you help me in my circle and aid my magic rituals. I bid you hail and welcome. Then turn and face your altar, raise your hands and say, Beloved Lord and Lady, I call to you, join me as we meet in secret, sacred space and ask that you help and guide me with wisdom and love. Welcome and blessed be. Now that you've cleansed and protected your sacred space and called the quarters to ask for help in your magic rituals, when you are ready, you can meditate, cast a spell, or even just sit for a few minutes. When you have finished, you can close down your sacred space by thanking each of the guardians in turn and asking them to close the space. First recite, O guardian of the east, please close down the sacred space. Thank you. Then repeat those lines for south, west, and north. You must also remember that when you have completed your ritual, you will need to ground yourself. You can do this by sitting on the ground with your bare feet touching the earth, or if it is too cold or you are indoors, imagine roots going down from your feet into the ground. I suggest that you have something small to eat and a hot drink as this will also ground you after your work. And that is the end of Casting a Circle. So, um, as you can tell, and of course, if none of those resonate with you, there are lots and lots and lots of other resources that you can use um, that are available out there that you can explore to see what does work for you. If you choose to cast a circle, go ahead and look around. And if you try it and it, it's just not resonating with you, it's okay. Your magic still works. You are still a witch and you are still valid if you never cast a circle again. That's fine. Um, but it is something that I do recommend that everybody tries at least once um, when they're doing a, um, a some kind of working just to see if if that kind of resonates with them and if it's something they want to incorporate because it really does add an extra layer of protection when it's needed so with all of that being said when i cast my circles i start out with the north because it feels better <laughs> um and i always do them outside i never do them inside because the inside is too small uh, to cast a circle so I 
stand at the northernmost point of my circle and I center and ground and I draw up both the earth energy and draw down um, air energy. Well, maybe air energy. I don't know. Maybe it's just universe energy, but I draw down like a higher, higher conscious energy. I, I draw it down through my crown and then through my root chakras and I connect them at my solar plexus. And that's what I use when I cast. And I walk, I walk my circle, um, three times in Dazel or clockwise. Um, I don't use an invocation. I just visualize. And then I enter once it's cast, once I, once I've laid the lines, I go stand in the center of that space, approximately the center. It doesn't have to be perfect. And I just kind of sit there and I meditate for a little bit and I make sure I'm remaining grounded and that I'm in the moment and I can feel the energy of the circle around me. And then I envision it closing above my head. And then I envision it closing under the ground beneath my feet. So I do the bubble, but it's much bigger than um, a lot of the books might have you believe. Um, mine goes probably about 10 feet in the air and about 10 feet underground. Um, and that's how, how big I have my circle. I keep it, I keep it very large. Once I have that visualized and I have that all in place, I face from the center, I face the north and I call in the north, um, but I don't use that like the long lengthy kind of fancy invocations. I use shorter ones kind of, it's usually kind of just kind of what feels right in the moment. I'm like, hail the North giver of whatever, you know, <laughs> and I, and I call it in. Um, I don't say all hail and welcome, but I might say, welcome to my space. Thank you for whatever, or welcome to my space. Thank you for um, providing your energy to my circle in this moment. And then I'll turn to the east. So I remain clockwise, um, north, east, south, west. Then I turn back to the north and I do all of my workings facing the north. Again, I do my circle casting outside. So I'll do that. I do my what I got to do, get it all done. <laughs> Um, usually because, um, I very rarely cast a circle when I do have a circle cast, I usually have a working that's going to take me a while, um, maybe an hour or more. So it's usually a more complicated ritual, um, that might take a while, but once I'm all done, I finish my working, I clean up my whole space first. And I kind of gather all of my tools back together. Anything that I'm going to discard, I have set in a container to the side. And then I release the north, the west, the south, and the east. And then I turn back to the north again. So I did that in the opposite direction. I released the quarters. And then I'll walk back up to that northernmost point. And then still envisioning that energy after I draw the sphere back in, um, 
very similar to the kind of envisioning it back going back into a ribbon um, mine is less of a ribbon and more of a wall but you know that's a me thing <laughs> um, once I have that like the roof and the and the floor are removed and I've envisioned those receded I go back to the northernmost point of the circle and I walk it three times winter shins or counterclockwise and again I don't have any invocation um, once I'm back to once I, I've completed this that three times I walk back to the center of the circle and then I release I center and ground I release all of that energy back up through my crown and down out of my root and I let it all go then I take all of my tools and all of my discarded waste, ashes, whatever from the spell, from the working I did, I discarded them appropriately and I cleanse my tools, um, usually with salt. Um, after I do a working, especially when that's that intense and that long, I usually use salt for that. Um, along with some selenite or clear cords. It kind of depends upon the day. <laughs> um, what I have very easily grabbable off of my shelves of numerous crystals. But um, yeah, so that is my personal practice of how I cast a circle along with a bunch of other tips and tricks from other types of practices and other people. I hope that this helped anyone who was struggling with the concept of casting a circle or someone who does cast a circle, but it wasn't really resonating for you. And I think the thing that is most important to remember, especially during this back to basics series, is that even if something is really basic, right? Like centering and grounding or, uh, which I did an episode on a few weeks ago, um, or casting a circle, things that a lot of folks might think are like one of the first things that you learn when you start this path. A lot of people take it for granted that these are things that we're just going to kind of stumble upon ourselves and that we've already learned how to do it. So, um, again, if for some reason, Casting a circle doesn't really resonate for you and it's not something that's required in your specific path, it's okay not to do it um, or to only do it in very limited amounts. That's fine. Uh, you are still valid and I want to make it very clear that my stance as a historian and as a practicing pagan as well as um, the stance of the witchy historian podcast is that if you identify as a witch and you are practicing the craft in any way shape or form your witchhood is valid um you are magical every person has this in, in them every person is magical and um it's okay to not be perfect because there's no such thing as perfection. Um, heck, if we were all perfect, we wouldn't even have witchcraft today. And what fun would that be? I think it would be pretty boring. Um, anyways, that's all I have to say about that. And I hope that you all enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for listening with me today. And again, for bearing with me during this insanely crazy time in my life. Um, it's it's going to be fine. 
we're thriving, we're surviving. It's, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Um, I am planning on dropping the next episode, uh, on August 11th. I'm switching to Fridays to make it easier for everybody, for myself, (laughs) really. Uh, but I'm switching to Fridays. So August 11th is the next preliminary date for the, the, the next historical episode to drop. And then the next witchy episode will hopefully drop on August 25th. So keep an eye out for those. I will try to keep you all posted on the Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash the witchy historian. Or if you're already on Facebook, you can use the search bar to search for the witchy historian pod listeners group. It is a private group, but it is searchable. Um, and you should be able to find it without too much issue. I'm also on Instagram. You should go check that out. I just posted something the other day from my visit with Becca and our friend Caitlin. It was amazing. It was awesome. It was like the best time ever. Um, and another one of our friends, McKenna, who was is also amazing. Um, it's just, it's been a really great experience getting to know these wonderful people and being part of this community. Um, so I'm really, really grateful for all of them and to have people that are in my corner when my life is going crazy. (laughs) So with all of that being said, uh, Instagram, you can find me at witchy historian. I do have my page set to private, Again, just send me a request. I will go ahead and add you. Um, I add pretty much everybody. The only time I would delete you is if you spam me. So just don't spam me and we're good. (laughs) Or you can find me on TikTok. I don't post very often, but I I have both historical and current events um, content on there. And I'm starting to build up some of the more witchy content as well. So keep an eye out for that. Some updates about the podcast, about my life. You can see my face and what a hot mess I am. It's fine. (laughs) And that will be at, uh, on TikTok at the witchy historian. You can also send me an email, send me an email at the witchy historian at gmail.com. I like getting letters from people. So please go ahead, send me emails, ask me questions. Give me suggestions for the show. Just be nice. Don't be don't be rude. And I won't be rude to you. And we're going to be all good. All right. <laughs> Anyways, thank you again for all sticking with me. And uh, this, was, this was a long episode. Um, but I think this was a good one. And I think this is one that everybody should give a listen to. So please share anytime you feel led to... Um, I'm making this content not for myself, but for all of you. So, yeah, with that, I'm going to sign off. I really should come up with a better sign-off than this. Have a great couple of weeks, and I will hopefully, hopefully, be talking at you on the 11th. Merry Lunasa, Merry Lamas, whatever it is that you celebrate. Have a wonderful, wonderful August 1st. Don't forget to blow cinnamon in your door. Bye.